welcome to episode 98 of the Daniel Yours podcast. End of year Q&A. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Fourth and final Q&A for 2022 coming at you. I've enjoyed doing these episodes new for this year. I will continue to do them probably quarterly. It seems about a good a good clip to do uh, in the New Year's or a new uh, a good cadence to do in the New Year anyways. So thank you for everyone who's submitted questions uh, throughout the year and for this episode as well. And, um, and that's it. We're getting close to episode 100. So I, I know I mentioned it last time. Stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, follow me on social, blah, blah, all that stuff so that you don't miss it when it does come out. Have a couple special things planned for for the next two episodes leading into that episode 100. And then we'll you know keep rolling that all the way up to episode 1000 and, and beyond. Because uh, if I made it this far, why would I stop now? One quick little reflection, and I won't really take too much time on this, is that, and, and I've spoken to this, I was tweeting about this with someone else who's like a big podcaster. His name's Danny Miranda. He's he's exploded in the in the podcast scene over this past year, and uh, he was mentioning something about you know something that happens after episode 100 and what you've noticed. And one thing that I have noticed with people messaging me is people seem shocked or or amazed at the at the level of consistency. And I think that this also goes or speaks to the the Spotify rap thing. I posted it on my Instagram a little while ago when it came out about the, the podcast information and about how, how many minutes you've put out compared to other people in the same industry and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm also shocked that people are shocked at the level of consistency. I, I don't think that what I'm doing is crazy. I'm putting out one episode a week and it's exactly what I said I was going to do. It's not, I'm not going above and beyond. There's been some weeks where there's more than one. I think there was a week where I was kind of on vacation where I didn't put an episode out, but whatever it's averaging, I'm averaging slightly more than one a week since starting the podcast, which is exactly what I said I would do. So take that for, for whatever it's worth. And it's not about podcasting, but that's about fitness and it goes into everything else that consistency matters and the steady and slow growth of this podcast is is being seen by that because I'm just showing up every week, every couple days or whatever it is and continually promoting it. And let me just adjust this camera here. See, these are the things that still got to get better at, <laughs> but continually getting better. And, um, you know, the, the slow growth is, is, is there because people expect it and I expect it of myself and demand it of myself. And not every episode is the best. Not every episode is the best quality. I've definitely taken a big step up this year in the video quality and um, in, in that, which is a big step uh, and still got a long way to go. Hopefully next year, 2023, we'll get out of the bedroom studio and get into something a little bit more, uh, a little bit more official, a little bit more permanent. But um, but these, these are small things. The most important thing is that we're continuing to put out good information and consistently so that we're always in your ear. And, uh, and I say, we, and there's no, there's no, we, but it's just, it's just me doing all the things. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so thanks for being here. That's all, but enough, enough of that. Cause there'll be plenty of that in the, in the episode hundred. So let's get into this, uh, this Q and a, um, first question. This is from Michelle. Thank you very much. Is soreness two days after workouts normal? Is this just a beginner thing and does it get better? So we'll break those down into, into their parts. Soreness two days after the workout, let's call it 48 hours after the workout because calendar days, if you work out in the evening, it's you know not exactly equal. 48 hours after the workout is very normal. Um, it's a little bit different for everyone. Some people experience soreness a little bit sooner and some people experience soreness in that 48 hour range. I tend to be in that like second day uh, of soreness um, and it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It just is what it is. Soreness, as we know, is not typically a 
a good marker of a good workout necessarily. You will have soreness and sometimes you won't have soreness, but it's not the only thing that matters when determining whether or not you had a good workout, just like getting really sweaty or feeling super beat up is not a good marker of a good workout. Um, but yeah, the two days after is totally normal. It might sneak up on you because the day after you might not even feel anything, or you might just feel tired or your muscles feel kind of heavy or full is, um, a way that people describe it. And, and, and I feel that as well. And then, then the day after it's like, Oh my God, I forgot that I worked on my legs two days ago or my triceps or whatever. And you start to feel that sort of, so if it happens, don't, don't freak out. It is, uh, is totally, totally normal to feel that the two days after. And no, it's not just a beginner thing. This will continue to happen. The soreness never really ends. You do get more used to it. You get more used to just that feeling of a constant, a little bit of muscle soreness. And you will get less soreness as you continue to do the same workout over and over again. And this is because your muscles in your body are better adapted to that stimulus. And so when you continually use the same stimulus, the same workout, then you're not going to have that same soreness response. And this is also part of the reason why we change workouts frequently or not super frequently, but regularly, let's say is a better word. Now it's not because you have to get sore to work out, but when your muscles stop responding to the stimulus, then you've got to change the stimulus in order to continue to elicit change, which is the entire point of all of this stuff. So no, soreness is not just a beginner thing. It will, it will change and it will get, it might even get worse, honestly, as you, (laughs) as you, as you get more fit, because one thing that happens when people start to get better or, or, or deeper into their training career is that you get better at actually training harder. And so when people ask me like, oh, does, does the workouts get easier? When does it get easy? It looks easy when you do it. And my answer is always the same. It never gets easy. The weights just get heavier. You just get more used to the suck, more used to pushing yourself harder. And all of that sometimes can elicit a little bit more of a, of a, of a soreness response, but you also get better at recovering and knowing how to do things to manage your own level of soreness and your own level of fatigue. And so it doesn't, it's not a beginner thing. Uh, it, it may get worse in some aspects, may get better in some aspects as you go along, but soreness is just a necessary evil uh, of working out. So get used to it. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess it, I answered the, the last part of it, whether it gets better. Yes and no, it, it, it does get better, but it gets worse, but you also get better at managing it. So, so there's that too, but just embrace it. And, um, you know, you'll learn to, you learn to enjoy that, that little bit of soreness. It tells you that you did something and, um, it just feels good. I don't know. I, I, I enjoy it except for those days where it's crippling your legs, especially where you can't walk and you've got things that you have to actually do. Try not try to avoid those super heavy leg days, uh, on before days where you have a lot of stuff to do. If you have any like housework or manual labor or stuff, but aside from that, um, you know, just kind of, just kind of suck it up. The best way to get through the soreness is, a little bit of movement, a little bit of light exercise, and even like using those muscles again, very lightly. So if your chest was sore, just do a few couple sets of some easy pushups, or if your legs are sore, just do some bodyweight squats and just getting some blood flow through those areas is probably the best way as well as making sure you're sleeping well and making sure you're staying hydrated. So those are probably the best ways. The Theragun stuff, it, in my opinion, in my experience, actually, they don't really help with soreness. It'll help with loosening up. It's, they're not useless. They, they help with other things, but getting rid of soreness is not really, uh, what their, their best uses. Um, but light exercise, drinking water and getting lots of sleep in will be your best, uh, your best fight against soreness. Question number two, what is body composition? This question comes from Phil. 
Body. This is a great question and and a good one leading into uh leading into what the new year is. So body composition and with with new year's goals and whatnot. Body composition is what your body is what your body's tissues are made up of. So the the best way that I've that I've learned to explain this is the following. If you take two people who are 100 pounds and they're they're more or less the same uh, same age, same whatever. One of them will be will have 80 pounds of muscle on their body and their body is 20 pounds of fat. Actually, let me correct that as as I'm saying it. One of them has 80 pounds of lean tissue on their body. That means their muscles, their organs, their bones, their skin, and all of that stuff. The remaining 20 pounds to make up the 100 pounds is body fat that you can pinch and feel on their body. We would say that that person is 20% body fat because 20 divided by 100 is 20%. And so 20% of that person's body composition is body fat. Now, another person who is, in a, who is also 100 pounds might have 10 pounds of fat on their body. So again, 90 pounds of lean tissue, bones, muscles, organs, skin, etc. And 10 pounds of fat mass on their body, we would say that that person has 10% body fat or is 10% body fat. Now, both of these people weigh 100 pounds. So if they step on the scale, they both weigh 100 pounds, but they have different levels of lean tissue versus fat tissue. The person who has less body t- body fat, the 10% body fat person, would be leaner. They would have more muscle on their body, and these two people would look different. They would both be the same weight if you step on the scale, but they would look different. Their bodies would perform differently. The person with less body fat but the same weight would typically have larger muscles and probably be stronger on average. But that that's the important thing to understand. So when we talk about losing weight and and we talk about you know not trusting the scale all the time and not putting so much faith in the scale, this is what people talk about is that it's not just about losing numbers on the scale because you could be losing muscle, which is not what anyone wants. What you want to do is be in a healthy body composition or a healthy body fat percentage range. Now, in general, and this is drawing a huge generality and and goes into a larger conversation that I'm not going to get into today, for men, the ideal, and heavy air quotes for those not watching video, ideal is around 10% body fat and for women around 16 to 18% body fat. Now these are both super lean people. If you're 10% for a male or like 16% for a female, these people are very lean, very visible abs, veins all over their body. I am not 10% body fat for whatever that's worth. Um, these are very lean people. I think most reasonably and, and it, it takes quite a bit of work to get down to that level of leanness. It is healthy, of course, and, and whatever, but it, it might not be worth the effort that it requires you. There's there's very few dinners out, very little junk food, very little you know wine nights with, with your friends or, or beer nights or whatever. So take that with a grain of salt. So what's, what's a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more healthy for men is probably around like 14% body fat is easily maintainable while, you know, continuing your social life and still being healthy. And women, it's somewhere in like the 20 to like 23% is typically what I've seen where people are comfortable at maintaining that level of body composition or level of body fat. They are healthy at that level and they're happy with the way that they look and feel at that level of body composition. If you're a male and you're like 30% body fat, you're probably a little bit 
carrying more fat than you'd like to aesthetically, and there starts to be negative health implications with carrying excess body fat. Again, not going to get into this whole conversation, but no, you are not healthy at every size. That does not exist. Carrying excess body fat is not healthy for you. You may be healthier than someone who is extremely skinny. Lower body fat is not necessarily better. Being 3% body fat would not be healthy, but that doesn't mean that you are healthier than someone who's at a healthy body fat percentage. So just to kind of squash that whole thing. But understanding what body fat percentage is or body composition is and what those terms mean so that when when thinking about how to set up your diet and set up your workout in the new year and people or trainers, people in the gym say these words, you know what that means. And you can focus on losing body fat and not focus so much on the scale. Because if you're getting into a place of just working out in the new year, what might happen up front is you may start to add muscle and lose fat at about the same rate. So again, let's take our 100-pound person. If they lose one pound of fat and gain one pound of muscle, they're still going to weigh 100 pounds, but now they're going to be 1% of body fat less, right? If you take that person who has 20 pounds of body fat and they lose one pound of fat, now they're 19 pounds of body fat. That means they're 19% body fat, yet they've gained a pound of muscle, so the scale weight still says 100 this would be an improvement. Although the scale shows no change, their body composition shows a change in a positive direction. And that is the thing that you need to know and care about more so than the number on the scale. The number on the scale matters and it's a good measure to use in in absence of other things. Because if you have a lot of fat to lose, the number on the scale will eventually start to come down. But initially, there might not be all that much weight change, but there might be a a body fat percentage change or body composition change. So if you have the means to be able to test this, you can use either like an in-body machine or um, a Tanita scale is a thing that you you hold in your hands and it uses a technology called bioimpedance. It sends a little bit of an electric current through your body and measures your, your bone mass and your fat mass and your muscle mass to tell you these things, or the best way to do it would be a DEXA scan or the most accurate way, but those are a little bit more expensive or significantly more expensive and like not as accessible. You're not just going to have that in the side of the gym and go quickly. So those are ways to, to test it, but if you can test it, and the other way would be manually with uh, body fat calipers, but you'd have to find someone who knows how to do that and uh, you can't really do it to yourself either. So those are all ways, if you can find any of those things, uh, do them. It's, it's a valuable tool and it's a um, just another measure and another set of data that we can use to more accurately represent the changes that are occurring in the body and to steer them in the direction that we like. Next question. Uh, this one comes from Mario. He said he's working out hard lately, but he still feels like he's losing size. Why is that happening? So I so I know this this person and I know how, how he's training. And, and the answer that we kind of came up to with him and may be relevant for, for you is that he doesn't eat enough. He trains hard. He trains his ass off, actually. But his goal has been to be putting on size, and he's he has gained a lot of muscle over this past year. And it feels like that plateau has stopped, and it, it or feels like that growth has actually stopped and is actually reverting. Now, December and the end of November has been a very busy time for for this gentleman with with his job and in his industry, and his eating has been way more sporadic. So he hasn't actually lost any weight. His body composition, again, hasn't changed, but he feels flatter. His muscles feel not as pumped. And it's what we determined is his meals have been so irregular and his calories have been down, but not down enough to start losing weight, thankfully. But his calories have been down and his meals have been irregular enough to feel flatness and to feel... um, 
to feel like he's getting smaller. He's not actually getting smaller. Numbers are still going up in the gym, still gaining strength and all that stuff, but it's this, it's this feeling. So if you're feeling like you are still training hard, doing all the right things, make sure that your eating is sufficient to support the muscle that you've gained. The caveat of this is that when you start eating more in an effort to gain muscle, you don't get to just go back to the way you were eating before and still maintain that muscle because now your body's at a new higher weight. You've got more tissue, more muscle tissue that needs to be fed constantly. And so you don't get to just go back to eating less and can expect that that tissue is going to stay there. So it's you know blessing and curse of, of, of this. And people might think like, well, how can you why is that a bad thing? You get to eat more. It doesn't mean you get to eat more junk food, chocolate cake and McDonald's. It means you got to eat, you know, continue to eat more healthy food and keep your protein higher to support the added muscle mass that you have on your body. So if you're finding that you're still, you feel like you're doing all the right things, your training is going well, but you're not gaining weight or you feel like you're losing size and that's not your goal. Make sure that you're eating regularly and you're eating enough and really do a, a hard self audit on that to make sure that you're doing that because sometimes we think that we are or you used to be and you, you fall back into old habits of eating less because it's hard to keep eating more all the time. It's not easy. People think it's it sounds great to go on a bulk and just eat all the time and it's it's cool for like a week, but then it's not that cool when you're stuffing your face all the time and you're, you haven't felt the feeling of, of a little bit of hunger and you're force feeding yourself all the time. So, so that's the thing. If you feel like you're losing size, make sure that you're eating enough and make sure that you are continuing to eat regularly. Next question, number four. Lauren asks, is it true that we lose muscle as we age and why is this? Yes and no. <laughs> the answer is always it depends. <laughs> always. So we do tend to lose muscle as we age, but a lot of it is because our activity goes down. Muscle is a metabolically active tissue. And what that means is that it costs energy, resources, calories, nutrients to have muscle on your body. When you're stopped using that, when you stop using that muscle, your body sees that muscle on, on itself as a liability as something that is draining energy for no reason. It's like a, a sector of your company that is just bleeding money and not generating any revenue. That's what this muscle that is unused is seen as. And then therefore, in the absence of sufficient calories and sufficient protein and sufficient stimulus through training and physical activity, your body will elect to get rid of that muscle. Now, this is of course a massive oversimplification of the process, but just to help you understand better, your body elects to get rid of that muscle and therefore you start to experience muscle loss as you age. However, this would be drastically reduced and almost eliminated if you continued to train, remain physically active, as physically active as you were before, and ate sufficient amount of calories and sufficient protein. So, yes, we lose muscle as we age, but it is mostly a cause of our change in lifestyle and not just a cause of the biological process of aging. Excuse me. So, it's very important to understand this. A lot of these, th there will be studies and say that, oh, sarcopenia, which is, which is losing muscle. 
happens as we age. You start to lose, you know, X percent of muscle after certain, after X age. And these are just generalizations taken across the population. Now, as we know, most people don't exercise. Most people are not even physically active. Most people don't go to the gym. Most people don't eat enough protein and do all of the things that we talk about all the time here. So if you take an average of all those people, then you'll say like, oh yeah, look at this population. All of these people start losing muscle after this age. And it's like, well, are any of those people training? Are any of those people eating right? And et cetera, et cetera. And the answer is usually no. And so the conclusion of the study and therefore the headline in the news article that everyone reads is we lose muscle after aging. And then it's always like, how do we get a pill for this? And it's not a pill. The pill is (laughs) go to the fucking gym. That's the pill. So again, the answer is yes, we do tend to lose muscle as we age. And even if we're, we are working out hard, eating right, and doing all those things, we we will still experience some amount of muscle loss. It will be very small. I don't know the percentage or the whatever off the top of my head. It will be very small, but it won't be significant to the point where you're losing your independence or your ability to do things or that it's really having a large impact on your life if you keep doing the things to keep muscle on your body. So this is why it's so important to train when we're early in life to add as much muscle as possible within reason, not trying to be a 350 pound bodybuilder, but add muscle while you're young so that you have such a long runway as you age and that the, you slow the curve by continuing to train, continuing to eat right and sleep right and do all the things so that you maintain your independence and your ability to live life to the fullest as you age. That is the reason to, to train early and when you're young and when you're old and all in between. So yes, we lose muscle as we age, but no, we don't have to. You got to keep training. You got to keep eating and you got to keep doing all the right things. And therefore we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll stop that. Beatrice asks how to train grip strength. And I snarkily gave her the answer on when she asked me, I said, carry heavy things often. <laughs> and for the most part, that is how to get better grip strength. Carry heavy objects often in the gym and outside of the gym whenever possible. Now, I know that she typically or that she specifically does she does train a lot and she does carry heavy things often. Not a fan of using grips and, and just you know holding on and just does hold on to the heavy barbells and dumbbells and all the things and she does lift a significant amount of weight. So it aside from like just going around and carry heavy things, don't use the wrist straps for every single little weight that you pick up in the gym, like all that stuff, some actual tangible tips to train your grip strength, assuming you're doing all those things uh, are the following. There are some forearm exercises you can do, and it's, it's difficult for me to show here, but think of what your forearm does. If you, if you watch the video, I'm going to try and back up a little bit so you can see me here, move the mic. And I apologize if there's going to be some noise here, but so my arm is up. Think, think of what your, your forearm does. If your forearm comes down like this, where you're your, uh, your palm is coming down towards the bottom of your forearm, you can hold a dumbbell and flex it up that way or use a cable and you can do the opposite in the other way where you're using your forearm muscles think about moving your wrist around and where your forearm flexes and then see how you can essentially add a dumbbell or a cable handle attachment to that and then do that with weight because those are the muscles that are going to impact your your grip strength now, not a great example for for purposes of the podcast doing that, but some other exercises that you can do or things that you can do is that at the end of a heavy set of deadlifts or RDLs or lunges or anything where you're holding on to like a significant amount of weight in your hands, hold on to those weights a little bit longer. 
and this is after you're done the exercise. So, you know, you're doing lunges, 10, 10, 10 lunges, whatever. After your 10th lunge, grab those dumbbells and squeeze them as hard as you can and just hold it for like another 10 to 30 seconds, something like that. And that, and that's just getting a little bit of that extra grip strength. Don't just drop the dumbbells right away. Another tip would be to actually actively squeeze the dumbbells that you're using or the barbell throughout the exercise that you're doing, not to a point where it's distracting to the exercise that you're trying to do, but actually try and squeeze them rather than just kind of hooking them into your fingers. Because sometimes we get, we get a little bit lazy and we get so distracted by our grip strength that you have to kind of angle the dumbbell and hook it off of your forearm and your, and your pinky finger or your thumb or whatever. And that's fine to do when your grip strength gives on you, but don't do it proactively. That's, that's the main thing here is that try to use your grip strength as much as you can throughout all the exercises that you do. Another thing that I really like is for, first of all, farmer's carries are probably like the best thing that you can do for, for this, throw them into your, throw them into the end of your workout. It's great for your core, great for whole body stability for your upper back and for your forearms, especially, but it only counts if you actually hold and squeeze that dumbbell, not if you're just kind of like hooking it on your, on your fingers. But another variation of farmer's carries that you can that you can do to help with the grip strength is to hold onto a plate that doesn't have a handle. And so you're just kind of like you're pinch gripping, you're pinch gripping the plate instead of holding it on your hand. And so you'll have to really squeeze your fingers in there. And um, and I found that to be a really helpful grip strength activity. Um but having said all of that, with, with, with you know those exercises that I just kind of rattled off, they will all work on your forearms and help with your grip strength and all that stuff. But the best grip strength that I've ever had in my life was when I was working in construction. And in a couple summers, like while I was in school, we did some concrete work with, with a, a friend's dad's company. And you know, holding a shovel and a wheelbarrow and carrying bags of, of rocks and you know whatever all day long it's just carrying heavy objects frequently and for a long time that was I'll ne- I don't think I'll ever have as good grip strength I mean maybe now because I'm older than I was then but if things were equal if age was equal I think my grip strength then was probably a lot stronger relatively than it is now just because I was using it so much and even though now like I obviously work in the gym and so I'm carrying people's weights and stuff like all day long it's still not the same as is, you know, holding onto a wheelbarrow or a shovel for 10 hours a day. And so there's no escaping just holding heavy objects often. That is the single best way to increase your grip strength. But, you know, not, I'm not saying to go get a job in construction just for the purposes of holding onto your grip strength. So think about those forearm exercises um, and just think about, think about the way your forearm moves. And you can extrapolate this to basically any exercise. Think about the way your forearm moves. And when you flip your wrist around, how the muscles in your forearm flex and relax. And then if you can just add a weight to that, that's how you do an exercise. So you think about your forearm flexing when you bring your palm towards your bottom of your forearm, your palm towards your wrist, and then think about a way to add an exercise against gravity or add a weight, sorry, against gravity and do that. That's how you essentially improve your grip strength. Another thing, I'm spending too much time on this now, but it's actually important. Another thing is when you grip something, consider that the pinky side of your hand is the stronger side of your hand as opposed to the thumb and forefinger side. The thumb and forefinger have a lot better dexterity. We use it for writing. We use it for more stuff. We don't really use our pinky for all that stuff. So our natural inclination is to grab stuff with the thumb and and forefinger. But when you do actually grab a weight, I want you, and I'm kind of showing my, my hand here in the video, but 
I want you to put the weight on this part of your hand in the bottom corner where your pinky is. So you wrap this around, you squeeze this part of your hand, and then your thumb and forearm just kind of close the loop to hang on. So you'd obviously close your fist, but you want to squeeze from the pinky side of your hand, and that's going to be a lot stronger than holding on with the thumb and forefinger, and then the bar will slip less. So that's not necessarily going to improve your grip strength, but it will improve your grip on the bar, and so it will it'd be like a perceived improvement in grip strength because you'll have an actual better handle on whatever you're holding and it won't uh, it won't slip as much and you'll be able to squeeze it a little bit harder. So make sure you do that because that's actually a really huge tip and it'll feel more comfortable in your hand and and more secure and all that stuff. So that's I think that's I think that's about it that I've got on on grip strength, but but do all those things and carry heavy things often and don't rely on the on the straps too much. The last question that I'll get to today is um, Andrew asked me uh, what my fitness goals are for the new year. And I think this is a good one to, to end off with because I can talk a little bit about uh, goal setting um, for the new year. I haven't sat down and really thought about this yet, but I've been thinking about it a little bit over the past, you know, just loosely over the past couple months. And this will sound silly to say, but I'll explain myself. And my my aesthetic goal, fitness goal, is to look and perform but look look make myself look like people want to accuse me of being on steroids and that doesn't mean that I'm going to take steroids I'm I, I, that's a huge conversation and like I'm not going to I don't think I will and if I ever did I would say so because I don't think it's there's worth hiding at um but you know not not currently something that I'm looking for, but I just want to look to the point where people are like, oh, that guy must be on steroids because that means that you you must look you must look pretty awesome. I know a former guest guest of the podcast and and friend of mine now Tanner Shuck, look at him look him up on on social media on Instagram. His his Instagram has been blowing up lately and rightfully so. He puts in so much work and he looks amazing. You look at that guy, be like, wow, this guy's insane. And people he gets accused like ref, left, right, and center of this guy's on steroids and. He's, he's not on steroids. He just works his goddamn ass off. But that's what I want to look like. I want to look like someone who is like, oh, this guy must be on Roy's because that's not achievable. There's a couple reasons. One, feed my own ego and let's just be honest about that and get that out of the way. But number two is that it gives, and, and I, it pains me to say this, it truly does, but it gives legitimacy to what I do. In my job and in this whole fitness industry and this fitness career, my body is somewhat of my business card. And of course, like I'm in good shape. I'm in decent shape. But I'm not one of those people who you see and it's like, wow, that guy's crazy six-pack, crazy bicep vein, crazy deadlift or whatever. Like, yeah, I'm in pretty good shape and I'm obviously in better shape than like you know most people. But it's not, it's not awe-inspiring. And so sometimes it's hard to get people to... If you're... A, if you're... A, if you're a long-time listener and you follow me for a while, you know that the things that I preach are very simple. The issue with that is that they're so simple and they're so effective, but they're so not sexy that no one wants to pay attention. But if you're out there, and the Liver King is like actually a perfect example of this. He looks absolutely insane, like egregiously big and, and whatever, and defined and all that stuff. Yes, he was taking a lot of steroids and, and all that has come out and well, that's fine. But his actual underlying message w- was not bad. It was about going outside, eating whole foods, and he sold it on this like on this lie, which is not good, but that's what it took to get people to start listening. And so I don't want to go that route because that is is way too far and that's not what I'm trying to do, but it draws more attention to the to the main thing. So if you get more eyeballs on you, and this is a whole like marketing and and 
and whatever tactic and conversation, not tactic, but it's just, it, if you get more eyeballs on you for something, but then you, you give people what they actually need and that's an okay thing. So part of it is, is, is business wise and getting this message out there that I need to like really step up my game and performance and, and aesthetic to get more people to pay attention and to spread the good message a little bit more. So that's part of it. And it's also part of it is that I really feel like I need to, I need to step into more of walking the walk. It's one thing for me to sit here and be like, it's okay to not be, you know, 9% body fat and it's okay to like have a few drinks on the weekend and do all this stuff. And it's one thing for me to say that when, when I'm not those things, it's another thing for me to be that and then say those things. So I've been there before. It's not like I've never been that lean or whatever, but I've got to, I've got to get back there for for my own for my own sake and for the sake of spreading this message and getting more attention on this and uh, and all that stuff. And also, I think my performance will go up, which is something that I, I really care about. Deadlifts has got to go up uh, a lot. It's been it's been annoyingly uh, weak in my opinion. Um, so I've got some numbers in my in my head. Uh, deadlift, squat, bench press got to go up, and um, and pull ups. Uh, I got to get got to hit a number of pull-ups, a certain number of pull-ups. But the, so those, those will be my goals for the new year. But now thinking about goals in the new year, um, make sure that you set goals that are reasonable and time limit. Don't try and lose 50 pounds in the next 20 days. Like that's, it's not impossible, but it's not going to happen. It also has to be reasonable in time limit and reasonable in achievability. Don't set a goal to hit a 700 pound deadlift in 2023 if you've never deadlifted before, that's not a reasonable goal. If your deadlift is currently 650, then yeah, hitting 700 in 2023 is a reasonable goal. But that's what I mean by reasonable achievability. Hit, set things that are reasonable that you can achieve. Um, but they also got to be big enough to like fire you up and get excited. Like you can start with a consistency goal of I'm going to get to the gym three days a week. And that's great. But you, you've got to have a next step after that. And I think setting small goals along the way is good. I'm going to go to the gym three days a week. Great. I'm going to hit this number on my bench press. Great. I'm going to hit this number on my squat. Great. I'm going to hit this number on running a mile. Excuse me. Great. All those things. But you got to incrementally increase uh, what you're doing because this is this is what, what keeps you coming back. And I've talked about this in the past of you want to do like the bulk and the cut and the this and the that. And you, you keep switching your goals up to keep chasing something new. And this is what keeps you coming back for forever to tie back to never losing muscle and and not being a, an old frail person. So you don't you don't want to do that. So set goals that are reasonable in time limit, reasonable in achievability, yet big enough to fire you up. That's my my short version of how to set fitness goals for the new year. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm fired up for myself for the new year. I think it's going to be a big year of training. I'm really excited to like work even harder at training and and really get serious again. This year was a was a semi serious year of training for me, but I've got to step it up next year and I want to because the other part of it is I actually just enjoy it. And I think I leaned a little bit too hard into like being a little bit lax about it where it's like, "Oh, it doesn't have to take over my life," but I also realized that I I really do enjoy training. Like I can if, if I can make the time to train for real twice a day, I would love that. That's awesome. And I'm going to try and make that happen because it would also have way better impacts on like my performance and my physique. Um, 
and and I also just like it. Doesn't mean that you have to do it, but this again goes back to the whole thing that I was saying, where it's it's one thing for me to say, ah, oh, you don't have to like go super hard, but like I'm not going super hard. It would the message would be more impactful if I'm standing here, you know, some shredded animal and saying like, ah, oh, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. It's it feels like a cop out to me, and so because it feels like that, it means I gotta go do it and. Um, and then just, you know, help spread everything because it's, it's about the good messages. There's nothing new that I'm going to do. I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm just going to do more of all of the good stuff that I've been doing. And that's really all there is to it because there's no other secrets that I've been hiding or that anyone else has been hiding. You just got to do more, do it harder and, uh, and do it better. So with that, I will, um, I will leave you episode 98 wrapped up. Here we are, uh, 99 and 100 coming up soon. I'm very excited for them because I've got some fun things planned for them. Stay tuned. Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on YouTube, on iTunes, on Spotify, on wherever else you listen to the podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Daniel Yoris. Um, check out the website, danielyoris.com, danielyoris.com slash coaching for any one-on-one coaching applications. Um, send me questions anytime you have them. I'll do another one. I'll probably do these quarterly. I think I mentioned, so I'll do one sometime in February, March. And uh, But send me questions anytime. I'll save them up and uh, get them in the next one. I appreciate you. Go outside. Be a good person and happy new year.